Today, I am talking to an old friend. I guess you would say my uncle from, from NC State Soccer. <laughs> Came in before, a little, little grayer these days. Um, but honestly, this is Mr. Uh, Dewan Bader who's joining us. And I wanted to talk to uh, Dewan today after what's happening this week with U.S. soccer's or U.S. national team's failure to qualify for Russia 2018. And I think he's in a unique position to talk about it because he's been to just about every single level that there is to offer in U.S. soccer. So he's going to talk about that a little bit from playing, coaching, admin, starting leagues to try to improve the level of soccer, try to improve the competition, to now, at this stage in his older years, <laughs> who's coaching, who's coaching not just youth, but professional players and national team. Last year, I actually worked with the U18s and the U17s. Um, three years ago, I was in with the U20s for a week. So again, you're hearing from somebody who has something to say about um, soccer in this country is growth because I've watched him kind of implement programs and strategies and ways of doing things that was all for the benefit of growing soccer in this country. And so honored to have Mr. Bader here. We're in his kitchen, his lovely new home. Soccer can do some things, people. I'm looking around now. If y'all don't believe soccer can do some things, uh, soccer can do some things, people. Everybody's is Kalasek in the Apex. Soccer can do some things. So we can talk about that as well. But glad to have you here. And um, let's get into it, coach. Um, is it the biggest error in U.S. soccer history that we have not qualified for World Cup 2018? It is a huge setback, and I think the word for me is disappointment. It's definitely the biggest disappointment that we've experienced in soccer, probably, you know, in a hundred years, because the reality is in the past, we were never expected to make a World Cup, you know, and then we made, we make it in 90, and we've been a part of every World Cup since 1990, since we made it. And I think if you look at it, for a country the size of the United States, for a country that prides itself on being successful in everything that we do, it is certainly a disappointment because there's more people playing soccer than ever before. There's more people interested in soccer than ever before. TV ratings are gone up. We have a solid professional league that's now over 20 years old. All of that combined, the expectation becomes bigger for the national teams to not just sustain where we were at, but to succeed in greater terms. And unfortunately, it's gone backwards. Mm -hmm. So it almost contradicts the notion that the more people involved, the better the leagues here, the more interest, the the better the, the national teams will be. If you look over the span of the last few years, and it's anybody that says they're completely surprised that this really shouldn't be because we haven't made the Olympics the last two years, you know, there's a sign that things are not progressing in the manner we, we would like. But not making the Olympics and not making the World Cup are two completely different things. Because at the end of the day, all the youth development is geared towards producing players for the first team. And so if you don't make you know, the U17 World Cup or you don't make the Olympics, you still have that argument that 
well, we didn't win, but we're developing players. And if the players move on to the senior team and the senior team does well enough, then you have a an argument to say we're still doing a good job. Unfortunately, now that okay. argument becomes very difficult to sustain. We had to play Trinidad, who was the last team, the most sorry team in our group. <laughs> and all we needed was a tie. It didn't matter what happened in any other games. All we needed was not to lose against the last team, the worst team in the group. And we lost 2-1 on first goal and own goal. You know, stuff happens. Uh, the second goal was a, a bombazo, a freaking shot from, from way out. Well, it's funny because right, as a coach, a lot of times we'll say you can learn more in a loss than you do in a win. So I'll say to this, if 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 the notion is that, well, if, if Clint's ball had gone in, didn't hit the post and we would have gone through, we wouldn't have been discussing this, then shame on us, right? Mm-hmm. Because it needs to be discussed. Because like you said, tying with Honduras and Panama in that situation still overall should not be good enough for US soccer. You know, Honduras and Panama do not have a league like the MLS mm-hmm. there, you know, they don't have the resources like we have here. They don't have the amount of players. They don't have the size of the country. So if we weren't having these conversations, like I said, then that would that would be a disappointment too. And, and to be fair, I think that's part of the problem is that we've managed to get in to the World Cup. And in, and in some of these cases, we've managed to get out of group play. But for the most part, when you look at it, you always feel like we pulled something off at right. the end. You know, but it's always a sense of we figured out a way to get it done. And and in fairness, that's what Americans are all about, right? You know, it's like we'll figure out a way to get it done because the United States of America always figures out a way to get right. it done. But that being said is in the background, you should be having conversations to figure out how you can not be just getting it done, how you can be a consistent powerhouse, at least in CONCACAF. If us missing a World Cup sparks the conversation that leads us to a different development path or a platform as to who's coaching and how we go about things, and it gets us to a semifinal within the next two World Cups, then in a weird way, this may be worth it. Perspective is tough when we want to get someplace like the World Cup to showcase talent like Pulisic and to continue the trajectory of soccer's development in this country. But like I didn't realize this until yesterday. Holland's not going to the World Cup. That's right. Chile's not going to the World Cup. Messi's squeaking Argent- Argentina, Argentina into the World Cup. Yeah. So I'm not saying, all right, so because those big countries don't go, so the blow is not as bad because the blow is the blow is tough for this country. But are we, are we ever going to get to the position where, I know it's probably like suicidal in Holland. It's probably suicidal in Chile. Are we ever going to get to that point where this matters? I think over the next week or so, there'll be lip service to it because people got to fill in, you know, 24-hour news cycles on ESPN or whatever. Yep. But are we ever going to get to that point? Is soccer ever going to matter in this country where it's going to sting? I don't think it's going to sting. It's going to sting people who are into soccer. Yeah. 
But in two weeks, uh, they're on to the NBA, they're on to the well, NHL. That's that's it. It. It, it, listen, there's obviously a group of people that it matters to. My son cried himself to sleep the other night. Wow. You know, um, and, and I love I love and How that. old is your son? Uh, he's 12, you know. But, but, but I'll, again, uh, I'll also point out, okay, like when you say it's a matter, it, it's not as important, obviously, because my son also plays in the U.S. Development Academy, right? It's, it's a league that is, uh, was created by U.S. soccer. The clubs, not teams, clubs that are accepted into it are accepted by U.S. soccer. You know, U.S. soccer decides who participates it, governed by U.S. soccer. Yet I made a point the other day is that my son has had to watch the U.S. soccer World Cup qualifying games recorded because his team's practicing while the game's going on. So when you talk about those other right. countries, I'm pretty sure in Argentina, when the World Cup team is playing, right. people are glued to the TV. It's not, you know, it, they, it, it is an important thing for the whole country to be a part of. So it, it, the disappointment is there for some people, but overall the commitment to the game and the passion for the game is still not where it is in other countries. We don't have the history that it has in other countries. If kids that are playing in a, in a league that's the U.S. Development Academy, if they don't get days off of practice right. to watch the U.S. national team play, there's a breakdown there. There are tons of hypocrisies and contradictions when it comes to soccer in the United States. And, and this is on a grand scale. And, and, and one, of, one of the biggest ones is, is you know, we're all up in arms right now because we did not get the results. The senior team did not get the results. But if you look at the way things are going in the development of the youth, they're taking away results. It's not result driven, right? Even the development academy, you can't play your way into the development academy. You can't, you can't beat a team. If you're not in the right. development academy, you can't beat a team or a club to get to find yourself in. Those clubs are safe. They've been told by the federation they're in. They can be taken away by style of play, what very rarely happens. So there's no competition. There's no sense of if I lose this, right. I am in some deep water. And even just, you know, games, you know, well, the U13s, U14s, we're not playing for anything. Well, I understand the notion of why you're not playing for something because you want the development aspect to take over. You want people to teach a certain way. But the reality is you have to employ people that will teach that way to get the results. Mm -hmm. Because if you tell kids results don't matter and then as they get older and get into international play and then all of a sudden they're under this pressure, they've, you can't expect it to just turn like that. It has to be a part of the fabric in which we're developing these kids to start. So it, it just seems like it's just it's just one more thing, you know, it, and, and it's all over the place. Uh, you know, you look at you look at the leagues we're in, you look at pro soccer right now, there's MLS and there's two division twos. There's the NASL and there's USL. That's a, that's a contradiction to any pl other place in the world. And, and take away the promotion relegation within all that, because I get the single entity and why it had to happen. But again, that goes back to those players in MLS are not playing under the gun. They're not under scrutiny that if they do poorly, their whole club and their whole community is going to feel this, right. this demoralization that they've dropped. 
And that's what we're feeling now as a country when U.S. soccer doesn't get there. And if you look at that roster, that's mainly an MLS roster that's representing our national team. So if that was in place, would these guys have more desire to win? Will it be more ingrained with them? I don't know, but it's one of those things where it's hard to get upset that we didn't get results when a lot of the other things leading into it have taken the results out of it. Again, I'm talking to uh, Mr. Dewan Bader, um, who's now, actually, you have so many hats on. I don't know which hat you're wearing now. I am now the head assistant coach for North Carolina FC. Okay. Within that role, I am the head coach of the under 23 team with North Carolina FC. Okay. And you said last summer you were with the U19s. Are you still with, I mean, the national team U19s, are you still in some capacity with them? Um, I'm waiting for my next phone call. And I know you've done like <laughs> scouting across the country. Like somebody will get in touch with you and say, look. I used know. to scout for Red Bull New York and in, in the MLS. And I also used to scout uh, for Chicago Fire. I did some scouting for Tab Ramos in the U20 national team and used to be a scout for the academy. Okay. But I, I don't really do that anymore. I am truly focused mainly on North Carolina FC at this point. Okay. Um, um, hopefully we'll make another trip or two with youth national teams because I really enjoy that. I'd like to be a part of that progression for those kids. But the reality is if at any time I go, it's because uh, North Carolina FC sees the value in me going and will allow me to do it. My full-time job is with North Carolina FC. I am assistant coach of my son's U13 USDA <laughs> team, which has been a joy just to be out there and, and lay down some cones for Coach Malazzo and... Just really, I try to be my, the best assistant I can out there a couple days a week and, and help set up the field and and just enjoy being out there with my son and his teammates. Again, one of the reasons I want to talk to Dewan, and I mentioned this in the introduction, is that he's been through, I think, just about every level, youth soccer, college soccer, before there was MLS, professional soccer, indoor soccer, and now on multiple levels as a coach to try to develop the game. So you mentioned sort of the inconsistencies and the, you might have said hypocrisy, mm -hmm. that there is in a system that tries to stress the importance of development without the importance of the result. And me, as a U13 coach right now, I look at my kids and I sometimes want to say it is about development. It is, Duan, but like I'm, we, have a, we have a weekend game, we get a result that is not indicative of the skill level of the kids and what they're trying to do and where they've come from to what they show in that game. We're playing against kids that are just bigger, faster, stronger, it just ain't gonna happen, right? Mm -hmm. So we show up Monday and have a bunch of kids whose heads are down because of a result that really they had, there's nothing they could have done about it because physically it was just not there. Right. So there's this development versus the result. And at some points I go, Maybe I just have to play to get the result because I want these kids to show up on Monday and Wednesday like enthused and, and not inspired but looking forward to the next game because we didn't get shelled 7-0 right. on Sunday. So what what is that fine line? What is that? Well, and when, when do you start focusing in on the result? Well, I think that's a good point, right, is results are part of development and might not be the focus right. of the development. So I think you have to look at development and dissect it a little bit and – there are a lot of facets to developing quality soccer players. If your focus is solely based on results, that's normally where you get the negative reaction mm -hmm. because you are sacrificing the development of the players solely for the result. But the results and the competitive nature have to be a part right. of the development. 
They, they have to be if we want us to be successful at anything. One of the things about soccer and being a coach that you love is you always talk about character, right? And, and, you, and, and team sports build a lot of really positive character traits. But one of the most important character traits for anybody in any walk of life, you got, you got, to, have, you got to have a drive to be successful. If you're not driven to be successful, if it doesn't affect you or hurt you when you're not successful, then the odds are you're, you're not going to get there. You're not going to be successful, right? If you don't mind losing, you're probably going to lose more often. One of the things that you, you mentioned was our willingness to compete. Were we ready to work against Trinidad a couple days ago? Unfortunately, it did not appear so. And why not? It, you know, I can't get into the psyche of the player because you would think in a game that important, you would have seen a lot more energy from the first whistle. Whether or not they didn't think it was that important because they didn't think Honduras would get a result or they didn't think Panama would get a result, I don't know. If that was the thought process, then again, shame on them. I will say in being a part of this and watch, playing a game on a Friday and then playing a game on a Tuesday is difficult. You add international travel to that. Where was the Friday game? I didn't even... Friday game was in Orlando. Okay. Tuesday game is in Trinidad. Um, and in and, and fairness, you know, Trinidad played in Mexico on Friday as well. But if you looked at the lineup Trinidad had out against Mexico and the lineup they had against USA... I can't tell you exactly how many changes, but there were at least three changes, I believe. The U.S. lineup was the exact same lineup from Friday. With half the players over 30 years old. With half the players over 30 years old. That's that's difficult. It's hard. Um, you know, so again, there's two different notions. Well, the one notion is this is who we think our top 11 is. They got the 3-0 result on Friday. We're rolling them back out there. But again, you go back to the size of the country, the level MLS is supposed to be. You would think that the national team at this stage has enough quality players that we would feel confident making three or four changes to bring fresh legs into a game, as you pointed out, that realistically we just have to tie. We have to not lose. Right. You would think there'd be enough confidence in, in some of those players. But, um, you know. Hindsight's kind of 2020 as as a coach. There's also times where I've looked out there and you say, God, why are they so tired? I had no idea they were this tired. In this situation, though, you know going into it that you're going to play a Tuesday, Friday, and they, you, you know that's a difficult stretch. So I, I I'm going to I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and just say that they their legs were heavy from the travel and that it wasn't a psychological thing that. You know, they didn't think it was important enough, but there was not enough effort out there for a game that essentially decided whether or not we'd go to the World Cup. Human beings in a mind, what's a mind to a king? What's a king to a guy? What's a guy to a non-believer? Supposedly there's a $100 million surplus in the USSF, like in the last year, year and a half or so. You have that money, you have a blank check, $100 million. 
Plus, whatever money Nike's gonna throw, yeah, whatever money Adidas gonna throw. So there's there's a there's a wonderful book. It's called Das Reboot, and it's about the reconfiguration of the German development system. And and when you think about it too, in particular, because I, I, don't quote me, I believe it started after the '96 Euros, when the German team I think maybe lost in the quarterfinals. Right, so. They lost in the quarterfinals, <laughs> and they realized they're not getting they're the not results good enough. that they need to get. They're standard. That's I right. They've made the most World Cup finals. That's correct. And obviously semis and things like that. So their standards just their standard is pretty darn high, right? So the German Federation essentially set up these these residencies in different cities throughout the country, and 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 also you know, it was kind of like in conjunction with the clubs to say, this is how we're going to do things. Mm-hmm. And essentially, if you were to ask me how, how I would do it, is that's that's more of what I would do. You could have 40 kids in, in, in six different markets, you know, doing that. And at least it's a start, it's more. I think more importantly is too, is it's more full-time employees working in those different centers. And, and those employees all have to have a, co- a commonality to them as to, what is the brand of soccer going to be? What is the culture of U.S. soccer, and and how are we teaching it at the international level? You know, and that that to me is the most important thing. Is we still don't necessarily have a brand or style. I know we're trying to, but in these centers, you certainly can say when you get here, this is the U.S. This mm-hmm. is how U.S. soccer does things, and essentially have have more players exposed to these centers. Centers like the German model in different locations all over the country, you're localizing the search for talent and you're, you're spreading the reach. One of the criticisms of US soccer is always in a country of 300 to 400 million people, how do we not find 22 people? Well, it's because we're not looking and we're not looking in the right places. When I first started coaching soccer in 1998, when TFC first started, we traveled around the state and honestly it was, it was white and black kids. Mm-hmm. That's it. I came back in 2000, Two and started coaching. The biggest difference I saw in North Carolina is the, the good teams I played. There are at least three or four Spanish kids on that team. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. It is that simple. The best, well, besides maybe Henry's team, because I know he's listening to this. Besides <laughs> maybe Henry's teams, Henry's all of Henry's teams that I've ever seen. But the best club team that I think I played against was when Bolwich. Mm-hmm. Bolwich coached with Tusa. Yep. And the, the he 90, had a UAT. The, 90, the right. 91s. I mean, in terms of just... Us against them, the physicality and the technical ability, it was miles apart. We competed, but it was miles apart. And one of the things was, what, from what I understand, and I, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think those guys paid. I think a number of them were in. And, and I think you're hitting on it. And, and, and to be so clear. this whole pay-to-play system yes. is one of the, that's what I'm getting at. The pay-to-play system in U.S., it's not conducive to competition because in other parts of the world, you consistently fail at producing what the coach has. You're gone, and you're playing with that added energy if it's fear if it's healthy fear if it's just focus whatever it is and that thing people will argue people who are from other places when they look at u.s soccer look at u.s youth soccer say that's just not that's just not the way it is if if the shirt belongs to the club and if you're not good enough to wear the shirt you go and we find somebody else. Right. When I was talking about those centers, mm-hmm. those would be funded. So mm-hmm. as you talked about if you had an open right. checkbook. Exactly. Those exactly. would be funded. The, you know, and, and you'd even be finding you'd, you'd be funding uh, transportation. You the, the better players would get there right. without it coming out of their parents' pockets. Right. You know. So uh, and I think the reality is 
it's headed that direction in some areas. The MLS academies are more or less heading that direction where it is paid for by the MLS teams. But the reality is, is the MLS clubs are the only ones that, that have enough revenue to do so. A youth club is very hard for, for someone to do that because they don't have the sponsors, they mm. don't have the money. So when people compare it to South America, Europe and everything, it's, a, it's not really a fair comparison because for the most part, when it gets to a higher level when those kids are playing for free, it's because it's under the guidance of the pro organization. But those pro organizations also benefit from the development because those kids either end up playing for them or they sell those kids and they make money on it. And that that brings up a whole nother perspective of, you know, what's wrong here in U.S. soccer and contradictions and all that is there is there is no reward for youth clubs for providing that type of opportunity a kid for free and, and, and you know you know us at TFC and we we were a very small club and we were providing over forty five fifty thousand dollars worth of scholarship right. money when we were a club of twelve hundred kids you know because we thought it was important but the reality is there's no way to get that money back in other countries you bring a kid into your club at nine you move him along at sixteen you're getting a percentage of any transfer fee that he gets throughout the rest of his career. So you benefit from it. You know, you have one kid that sells for a million dollars. Well, you're you're paying for the next 10 years of kids to right. do it. So that's part of the issue. But you are also correct. It goes back to what we said about that kind of integrity to compete and right. scratch and claw. It's not there. Mom and dad pay the bill. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I might drop from the gold team to the white team. But even if I do, mom's going to have a word with the director Correct. because I pay the dip bills, you know, and, and I'm, I didn't play as much this weekend. But mom and dad are going to figure it out because we're a paying customer. It's tough. And I ran a youth club for a long time. And you have to reiterate that paying just gets you in the door. It gets you the train and it does not get you the playing time. Right. But a lot of people in different areas are concerned to have that conversation because that means they may go out to another organization and right. now they're not getting that money. So finding a way out on, on how to make it free, at least for the top players, is important. And I say top players, meaning you still it's almost like when they're first starting, you have to make it as cheap as possible because you got to get them in the mm -hmm. doors. And then there's going to be a time frame where it just it, it can only be but so cheap because teams travel here, they do this, they do that, and 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 you're not going to get sponsors. But now that the elite players, there needs to again be a way to figure out where, if if I'm good enough to be in this environment, and my parents can't afford, then we still have to figure out a way. And I do think most clubs are trying to do that for the top players. There needs to be some sort of reward for developing players and giving them um, the opportunity to move along. And, and, and therefore, if you're doing it, it goes back to the development, right? Mm -hmm. If you're doing a good job of developing players that understand the level, you know, what it is to compete, but you're also teaching them good technical skill and everything, that's more motivation for you to continue to do it correctly right. because you're, you're getting finances back to help others, but also to help your club, you know? Um, so there, ha there, there absolutely has to be something in place with that. You know, again, we talk about hypocrisies and contradictions. You can see it from a different level too, right? Right now, we're in the North American Soccer League, North Carolina FC. 
And if there's a player that there's an interest in an MLS and he's under contract with an NASL team, MLS is not paying an NASL team a transfer fee to get him. They're not gonna buy him out. But if they want a player from Mexico who isn't necessarily an international player, but he's a quality player, they got no problem going, going there and paying $100,000 for him. We undervalue what we're doing in America, basically. So you, your your league is is developing players, and there are players who've made the jump the last couple of years Absolutely. to MLS. But the teams, but, not, but, the, but the teams haven't benefited correct, from them. Correct. They make the jump when they're free agents because they run out their contract. Because even though they could have gone the year before, MLS isn't going to pay them, right? And so then, then we're stuck in a difficult spot because we want part of our plan to be that we're trying to move players on from D two. That's part of our our plan, part of our organization's plan. But again, it doesn't benefit us to do it. So it's hard. You want to move your best player to a different league and not get anything for right. him? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense, right? And then you think about it, right? Okay. Well, I brought up Mexico, but Mexico, Chile, all these other countries. When when we go to pay those clubs, in in essence, we're helping fund the foundation the yeah. and the development of players from another wow. country. But we're hesitant to do it within our own country. That doesn't. That doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't correlate. Wouldn't you rather spend $100,000 on a player from New York Cosmos or you know uh, Indy 11 or North Carolina FC, somebody you're interested in, and that $100,000 is going to help the infrastructure right. of a second division team in the United States? That makes more sense. Don't we want more second division, third division teams in the United States helping the development process? Well, if we want them, then there should be help from the top tier because by the way, we can't play our way into the top tier. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> There's no promotion relegation. So similar to the development academies, you can't play your way in. Well, you can't play your way into MLS. So what, what is that saying to the people that are on the outside? It's not, it's not a competitive aspect. You can't benefit by winning and why are you, you know, why are you trying to win? It's so, it's so many weird things. That right. Go on. That's what I'm saying. And talking to you now, you, you see that I think the, the, not even just the casual observer, because there's a ton of those who are on the internet right now saying what they want about what's happened. But there are people who've played soccer, who have a vested interest in the sport in this country, but they don't know all these, there's like five or six different things that you've talked about today. And I never even, even thought about. But one of the things I know that these folks mention is, I guess we call it the Klinsman model versus the arena model. Bruce Arena went with MLS players, homegrown players, and it piggies back off of what you just said about would it be worth it to spend $100,000 on, on an American player so that his club benefits and whatever local entities there are surrounding that club in the United States benefit or go and get, let's be honest, it has been CONCACAF or European player just for the name recognition to get some people to fill the seats. Is it better to do it? And as one of those fans would say, well, I, I want to see somebody who can who show me that they can play 
in even if it was in Mexican B division, mm-hmm. or even if it was in the Belgium B division, wherever it was. I mean, the argument for you is it's going to benefit the development of the game in this country anyway. So why not do that rather than getting the you know the B division player from Belgium? I actually have less of a problem if they're finding somebody from a Belgian B team that they've scouted and they've decided is very good for their team is going to fit the mold and does a good job because mm-hmm. it means they've they've put resources into it. They're doing their job to find talent no matter where it is, right? What I don't like is the willingness to spend money in Belgium and not here. Right. I think they should do the same thing here. I think they should pay the lower leagues. But again, it's a, there's a sense of entitlement that if we're MLS, you should be with us no matter what. So we shouldn't have to really pay you to get in here, or we shouldn't have to pay a lower level team. And that goes back to what we said with you soccer as well. There's a sense of entitlement from the players because mom and dad pay the bill. There's there's too much entitlement. There's a lot of things that go on from the top tier to the bottom tier that when you really take a microscope to it, it's, it's not that much different. And then you wonder why we have these issues. Well, we've got to figure out some ways to streamline some of this stuff. Is there hope in your mind? I mean, I mean MLS started when I was in college and now we've gone from what, eight, 10 teams up to 20, 21. And I mean, locally, we're trying to advance the team that you work with towards MLS level. So we, we can talk all day about soccer and we, I'm sure you got other things to do as well. But I do want to talk to you about your personal soccer journey if you, if you have time. Sure. Um, from obviously where I saw US soccer when I really started paying attention to it in college. Again, MLS just started, few teams, non-American players to look at an MLS roster now. They have most of the teams have their own stadiums, except for Seattle. Mm-hmm. Why would they if they can fill it? Right. Um, is there hope? Do you I, I, see hope? Absolutely. absolutely. Because the trajectory, besides two days ago, has been upward. It's right. been, for the most part, upward or steady. I haven't seen, a, I don't think there's been sort of a sharp decline. And everything has been a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit more. Yeah. At least they've done a good job of promoting that aspect of the USSF has done a good job of promoting that. Yeah. So it, is there hope, Duan? Absolutely. And, and, and again, let's be clear. We have to recognize there's been progression. Maybe, maybe there hasn't been enough progression in the World Cup in regards mm. to what round we've gotten into, but there's certainly been progression when it comes to soccer in the United States. Just the fact that we're talking about right. development academies and we're talking about the fact that we didn't make a World Cup. I mean, when I was a kid, it was what? We're not going. We're not going there. Gonna we it. have a national team, you know. I mean, I remember sitting. I think it was for the the '82 World Cup. My dad went and got a special antenna so we could pull up a couple games on the UHF channel. Uh, where we got all the lights off and we're watching this little 19 19 inch color TV that's just full of snow, <laughs> trying to make out France Germany in overtime. My mother came in and said, "Why are you guys just watching a fuzzy TV?" We're like, "If you look really hard, you can see the game." You know, like soccer porn on the cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly what it was like. It was like it's like it was like in scramble mode and you're just trying to figure it out. But but just seeing international soccer meant the world to right. us. So we've obviously come a long way because like you said now there's 21 teams in mls most of them have soccer specific mm-hmm. stadiums they're putting people in the stands and, and that's what makes it such a disappointment because everybody's so excited right. for the world cup to come around these days they're excited to be a part of this international experience they're excited to to be in a bar and restaurant with other americans and other non-americans celebrating the game 
So we've come a really long way. We're still progressing. To lose sight of that would be unfortunate. So let, let's make sure we do recognize. So is there hope? Absolutely. There's tons of hope. I'm a very optimistic person. That's why I said the reality is, is this may this may be the one thing that we needed to progress more. Mm-hmm. Because I think in general, listen, I was I was quote unquote devastated when we didn't get in. Unfortunately, not overly surprised when you really start thinking about it. But I think the devastation has gone more to disappointment and now on to how do we get better? What do we do next? Because I know this is not going to happen in another four years. I believe in my heart. You look at Argentina. This has happened to Argentina before. They missed the World Cup, uh, I think it was in 06, was it? 02, 06, Argentina missed the World Cup. Um, It happens. You know, the difference is Argentina's also won a couple World right. Cups, you know, so, but, you know, it, it's going to happen. Are we going to bounce back? Absolutely. Because that's, that's what Americans do. That is our will. That, that is, that is, that is our integrity. That's our pride. Um, that's why it's the greatest country in the world. We will get better because of this. So what works for the women, for example, the women's national team? But just well, it's it's a completely it's a completely it's apples and oranges. Exactly, and this is what 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 a lot of people need to recognize. It's apples and oranges because U.S. women's soccer more or less started before anyone else. They're the Englands of soccer, right? right? You know, so so they're they're the ones that have been doing it for the longest. And now the reality is you're seeing some of those other countries catch up and fight with them, you know, the Koreas, the Swedes, all that. But for the most part, they've been the most consistent because they were the ones that that started it. And the reality is, is kudos to them for maintaining the level they have. But you can't, you can't look at it the same with, with men's soccer because we're so late, we were so late in the game coming into it with men's soccer, you know, the foundation, the history, all that. It, it just wasn't there. So I think it's very difficult difficult to compare. You know, even like 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 Latin American women for a long time, they, they just culturally right, and that's, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a part of what they're supposed to do. Right. And that's, again, it's why you're proud. And I have two daughters. It's why you're proud to be in the U.S. That culturally, it became a really dignified, cool thing to do to be a, a female athlete. You know, um, and and it was cool here before it was cool in other places. So they kind of had the head start. And I think they've done a great cha- great job of maintaining it. The women seem to have been doing it pretty darn well for the last last couple decades. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons I brought that up is that the culture and the potential that's available for women in this country, in North America in, in general, I think, is something that's not part of the, the framework, not part of the foundation, really. Yeah, you look at Latin American countries going, why in the world is Colombia? or Mexico not kicking ass in women's soccer. If the culture's in it, you know the women, at least they want to play, but there's not that, that I mean, perhaps that structure in place and the finances and just, the, the, the col- thing that we always lament about this country, there's not that like 
love and support that rah rah around that there. And so, well, but let me let me bring you back though. So, because because it's an interesting it's an interesting argument, if you will. Would women's soccer be as successful today if we don't win that first World Cup when Brandy Chastain takes off for sure and it's a packed coliseum? It's in the U.S. Mm. It generates it. So I say that because you imagine in 1994 when we host the World Cup with the men. If by chance the men are good enough to win the World Cup, we are going to be really good for years to come, right? right? Really good. Because what sparked more and more interest with the women is that they won. So everybody associates the U.S. women's national team as winners. And that leads to notoriety. It leads to more people being involved. It leads to more kids wanting to do it, right? So I say that because I go, you know, uh, if, if we don't win that first World Cup, is there as much focus on the women's team or as many kids? So I think the culture changed a little bit when we won that because it was, we won, and, and 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 that's the way we are, right? We love winners as 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 a as a country and as a culture. So it generated more and more and more and more interest. So you go back to these other countries on the female side that start up. If they don't win, do they ever get that push over the hump to keep girls playing, to 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 push it, to promote it, and say, hey, no, this is an outlet. This is a smart thing. This is a good thing. In the U.S., it was yeah, you know me. Mia's Mia's on Nike commercials. She's selling Gatorade bottles. Like this is this is a cool cool thing. If we don't win, is Mia pushing Gatorade bottles? I don't think so. Is Mia pushing? You know, is Brandy Chastain doing a Nike commercial with Kevin Garnett? If, if we don't win, I doubt it. So it goes back. So to winning of, helps. Yeah, it goes back to one of the things we first started this discussion with: is Which, development or not the res- Well, in the end of the day, it is the result. The result brings more tension. More tension brings maybe some kid who just did not think about doing it, all of a sudden they're thinking about doing it, they, they end up being the next Brandy Chastain or the Absolutely. next Mia, Mia Ham. And again, the opposite of that is what's going on with the men, that we're not winning, so people are not really focused in, sure. and not really giving their all. So as a kid, as a kid, you grow up watching the Olympics every four years. Mm-hmm. Same time frame within the World Cup. And I'll be honest, unless it was an Olympics, I had no idea who the track stars were, right? right? I didn't know who the gymnasts were, right? Right. right you know, right. those are not sports that I followed. But during those four, during every four years during the Olympics, I knew who Carl Lewis was because he won. You know what I mean? I mean, even as a youngster, I knew who Nadia Comaneci was because she won. You know who the winners are, right? And therefore, when you see people win, it's like, I want to be part of that. Man. I want to be a part of that. You know, and and so that, and that's what I say, you know, and especially, and that's where soccer was for a long time. People were only paying attention to soccer every four years, so they pay attention, and you know, hey, the U.S. is is in the World Cup for the first time ever. All right, awesome, and then you don't hear anything for quite some time because we didn't do anything, and then we hosted it, and that obviously was a huge spark. And then when we hosted, we got out of group play, and that and that that promotes it. The women won it. <laughs> they they won the big one when we hosted it here. They're on right. their, they're yeah. on their way, man. I just won it. Won it here. Won it here. Won it here. Yeah. And um, they're on their way. There's a lot to be said about soccer. There's a couple of things that you mentioned that, I mean, I think is, we can go into it, but I, I wanted to 
Like you mentioned about um, earlier about establishing the American identity in soccer. And we know the American identity, at least the one that's professed, it's sort of meritocracy, earn your way on, you work hard and blah, blah, blah. And we kind of don't see that in the club soccer system. We kind of don't see that in you know relegation promotion. We don't see, like you said, an outside club can't sort of win their way into the academy, things like that. So we can, we can get into that. But what I really wanted to talk about, because Ubuntu Radio is more or less about having a conversation with the person, with figuring out who they are and then seeing how that influenced some of the things you've been saying for the past hour, I believe. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and I hope I'm not keeping you mad. No, so what happens um, when we talk soccer? But what I want to do now is, is, is talk about you. You're living this game. You're not, you're not making a living from this. You're living this game. You're living this game. How long has that been the case? Because somebody goes, well, if they don't know you, they say, well, your parents must have come from another country and that was always there. And you, <laughs> no. know, you immigrated here and you had this love for soccer. That's what really happened to us. That's, that's yeah. why this happened, but that's not the case. No, no, I'm glad you asked because it's true. And I'll try not to get emotional when talking about it, but I have loved this game since I was five years old, since I was exposed to it. Do you it. remember what it was? I have to give a lot of credit to my older brother, Quinn. Um, he played on a neighborhood team. He's two years older than me. And again, he was having success. Mm-hmm. He was ha- he was playing, had a smile on his face, and I'd go watch him play, and he was scoring some goals. And I was only five years old and not old enough to play on a rec team yet. That was the start of it. Within that same year, there was a rec team that was forming that was a year older than me. And the coach was uh, lived in our neighborhood. You know, rec teams back in the day were just neighborhood teams, mm-hmm. you know. Who, I started practicing with them because they asked me to play at halftime of the Washington Diplomats game, which was the old North American Soccer League in RFK Stadium. And that really hooked me because it wasn't just being in a big stadium for a soccer game, it was being down on the pitch at halftime. Mm-hmm. You know, I did have a knack for the game already and I scored a goal and it was like, Okay, I'm on board. So I honestly remember that day leaving that stadium saying I want to be a pro Score, soccer player. Score 20,000 plus people going, ah! There wasn't that many people, but there was probably there were probably at least 12, okay. 14,000 at the game, okay. you know, and we had an opportunity to play at halftime. And I, and I knew then that's what I wanted to do. And the reality is it has been the biggest focus in my life outside of family since that time frame. It's a blessing. So listen to the lesson I preach. I talk sense condensed into the form of a poem. Full of knowledge from my toes to the top of my dome. I'm kind of young, but my tongue speaks maturity. I'm not a child. I don't need nothing for security. I get paid when my record is played, to put it short. I got it made. I got it made. I got it made. In part two of my conversation with Coach Dewan Bader, we talk about that soccer journey from that five-year-old in Maryland to NC State to playing in France to winning multiple indoor championships to ending up in Raleigh, North Carolina, becoming a director of coaching and then all the things he's done with the professional team and the national team and how his family is closely tied to his love and appreciation for what this game can bring. Come on back to Ubuntu Radio, but for now, we're out. I'm talented, yes, I'm gifted. Never boost.